This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132. 2018's been a pretty strong year with the U.S. economy. Unemployment dipped to 3.7%, and wages have been improving for some. At the same time, the U.S. is in a trade war with China, the national debt has risen sharply, and we're also long overdue for a recession. So what might happen as we head into 2019? The Conference Board, a member-focused think tank, has a new report out on the global economic outlook for 2019. Bart Van Ark is the chief economist and vice president with the Conference Board, which is has that new report out. Bart, welcome to the show. Hi, Dan. How are you? Nice to be here. I'm doing very well. So uh, before we delve into 2019, how do you review 2018 kind of heading into the new year? Well, I think since the global financial crisis, I think 2018 is likely to come out as one of the best years we have had. Um, You know, we've had a pretty long expansion, uh, but, uh, you know, the expansion has been expanded through uh, 2018, particularly U.S. has been doing it well, but globally also. But but surely at the end of the year and certainly in the past couple of weeks, we're beginning to see some pain points, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. Yeah. And what are the most, I won't say worrisome, but what are the most watchful areas for you that may be a concern going into 2019? Well, obviously, at the moment, the biggest concern is if you just, you know, uh, uh, listen to to your program and any other program is what's happening in the financial markets. And, uh, you know, the, the big question for us economists is this is just a correction. And, uh, you know, sometimes such a correction is healthy because the stock markets have been doing extraordinarily well over a lengthy period of time. Or are these the first sign of, uh, you know, a bigger storm ahead, which could be a recession or anything like else? So, so you know, that is obviously the, the, the greatest worry at this point in time. Uh, and we'll see. We can talk a little bit more about what we think is going to come out of this. But in addition to that, of course, we've had a rough year when it comes to uh, the global economy in terms of global trade. Uh, you know, trade has slowed down uh, already during this year. And then on top of that, we have these trade disputes. Uh, that are taking place, particularly in the U.S. and China, but also beyond that. And that is a little bit of a worry uh, also uh, in going forward. So how do you see GDP growth going into 2019? Because there, there are many questions surrounding that area specifically in the fact that the numbers in the last two quarters have obviously been pretty good. Uh, and we'll get more revisions on the fourth quarter coming up. But the expectation of whether or not that can continue throughout 2019, I think is a little bit concerning that people believe that it won't happen. We may have a couple of good quarters early in the year, but as we get later on into 2019, maybe heading into 2020, that things are going to slow down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's almost certainly almost certainly not going to continue in the way it has been in, in the past year, in the past couple of years. Uh, and, you know, most most folks who are doing an outlook, including ourselves, are pointing at that. The real question is, how big will the slowdown be? And will the slowdown be gradual? Or will the slowdown come with, with, with a recession or with a crisis? That's obviously the hard thing to predict. But that's what everybody is talking about. But, you know, particularly when you look at the United States, for example, to start there, uh, you know, one of the reasons we had a particularly strong year now is that we had a big fiscal stimulus. We had corporate tax cuts and income tax cuts. We had a fair amount of fiscal spending that came very late in the business cycle. And, you know, then uh, that's, not, that's not going to last very long. So during 2019, we, we're very likely to see that disappear. Frankly, I think the global, uh, the, the U.S. economy is peaking right now. 
And, uh, you know, all the upcoming quarters are likely to show uh, significantly slower growth. Are, are you also concerned about the fact that even though we have the, the, the 3.7% uh, unemployment rate here in the U.S., which obviously is as low as we have seen in a long period of time, that there are some worries about the, the labor markets and the tightness of the labor markets right now in the fact, and, and I'll use housing as an example, that seemingly their house uh, builders complain about the fact that they don't have uh, enough people to be able to do some of this work, and they link it back to the immigration reform, or lack thereof, uh, as one of the reasons why. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, on top of the two other risks that I mentioned, uh, financial markets and trade risks, the labor market is the other one that concerns us enormously. And what's particularly interesting at the moment in the, in the labor market is that, you know, we're, we're always concerned about these shortages of talent at the higher end of the skill range. You know, it's hard to get data engineers and, and people and data scientists and people like that. But it turns out at the moment that the biggest shortages are indeed in people that you were mentioning here, construction workers, but also engineers, uh, manufacturing workers, uh, various low-service, low-skilled service activities where, where, where we see significant shortages. So it's spreading across the economy. And a lot of these occupations, frankly, we had not expected these shortages really to occur because most people would think, you know, I mean, if we talk about automation and digital technology, you know, that's going to take these jobs away anyway. Well, that doesn't seem to be the case. The technology isn't really proceeding that quickly. And a lot of people in those kind of occupations, they are actually retiring now. Most of them right. are, many of them are older people, and there are very few young people coming into those occupations. So then what is going to have to change to be able to adapt the, the labor market to be able to fit what we need to, to continue to have significant growth in, in the next decade right. or so? Well, something we'll have to give, right, uh, to, to make this, uh, make this uh, better. Uh, one, one thing is that, you know, we need to see wages to go up, and we're already seeing that. I mean, in some of these uh, blue-collar occupations, to call them like that, uh, we see wage increases of 4 or 5% already happening. Now, that's, of course, significant. Uh, there's a, there's a, a plus side to that, and that is that that gives us some more purchasing power for consumers, and that might push consumption a little bit into 2019. But it is raising costs for businesses, and that would have a potential impact on their profits. And particularly at the late point in the business cycle, that can be, that can be a matter of concern. So, so that is, you know, wage increases is one thing that could happen. The other thing that it might do is that it might actually help give businesses the incentive to really push forward with automation. You know, we've been talking about this, but, you know, as long as wages are low, then the incentive to make investment for digitization may not be all that high. But now businesses may have to get really serious about it and drive up productivity instead of having to hire more people. I mentioned the housing sector, and just in general, there's obviously a little bit of a slowdown in that Mm -hmm. over the last year or so. And a lot of people talk about how housing is kind of a bellwether for certain aspects of the economy. If if we have if we continue to have the higher interest rates here in the United States and the housing continues to slow and the builders aren't willing to go out and build as much single family new homes as maybe we've seen in the past, that would seem to be a formula to kind of say, hey, listen, we need to be very concerned about these factors. Yeah, I mean, housing uh, and housing starts are an important indicator of potential turning points in the business cycle. And we, we continue to need to, to watch this very carefully. Uh, but, you know, you've got to be careful not to just focus on one indicator. I mean, yeah. housing, for example, before the global financial recession, how the housing indicate the housing starts were slowing down for already two years and right. only then. Uh, the crisis is actually beginning to hit. So, so we've got to be really careful here. And also we should not forget, you know, even 10 years after the crisis, 
you know, we've still been coming out of that recovery in the housing market. It's been ongoing. Right. And I think, you know, to some extent, people now need to come to terms with the fact that there's no more increase in these home values going to happen and that we have to take it as it is currently. And, and the other part to it is also the fact that wage growth has been so slow to really pick up uh, over the last uh, decade or so. Mm-hmm. It's really only been, what, the last 18 months that that we've started to see really any kind of, you know, s- solid growth where wages are concerned. Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, in some occupations, these wage increases are not quite substantial, they're 4 or 5%. But even on average, we're really looking at 3% or more now. Uh, and, you know, again, there's a real silver lining to that because, I mean, income growth has been slow, and that would be a concern, particularly if the economy is going too slow, that consumer spending will, will come down. As long as incomes keep increasing, that, that might give us a little bit of a benefit. 844-WHARTON is the number if you would like to join in with your comments or questions. 844-942-7866. Or if you're not able to get to your phone, you can send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132, B-I-Z Radio 132, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. We're joined by Bart Van Ark, who is a chief economist and vice president with the conference board. We're talking about their reporting, looking globally uh, at economic conditions going into 2019. So let's spread this out a little bit more outside of the U.S., but obviously part of what happens uh, outside the U.S. does or, uh, does impact what's going on uh, in the U.S. Europe is obviously a focal point right now because of Brexit. Uh, how much impact are you going to see economically in Europe if something occurs? Because it's still very much, it feels like, up in the air in Europe right now with what is going to happen with Brexit. All right. Yeah, it's of course, exactly. The question is, what is the something here, right? So um, uh, we don't quite know what's going to happen. The, the, the story changes about every minute. Uh, so who knows what happened between before uh, before you and I started talking and now. Um, so, uh, you know, but, but it is a serious issue. I mean, you know, Brexit uh, creates a huge amount of uncertainty. Um, and it's particularly concerning for the UK economy itself, of course. I mean, the UK economy, which has actually been doing quite well over the past few years, is now, again, over the last year, showing significant uh, tensions. Uh, you know, we, we do a business cycle indicator uh, for the UK at the conference board, and that has been in negative territory now for more than a year. So we're actually very concerned that a, a, a disorderly Brexit, to call it like that, could actually trigger a recession uh, in, in the UK. And I think that's still a possibility. You know, we have currently an agreement on the table. At the moment, it looks like, you know, that agreement may actually move forward to the next stage, but whether it will make it through the UK Parliament is, is still highly doubtful. Right. And what will happen if that gets rejected is very uncertain. So so the UK could really uh, suffer significantly for that. But also for Europe, it would be bad because, you know, a disorderly Brexit is creating a lot of uncertainty uh, for, for Europe uh, in their dealings with the UK itself. But also, what is this going to mean for other partners in Europe that are are unhappy? I mean, they may not be as keen to exit, but at the same time, they're unhappy about the way that you know, the European institutions are functioning, and that creates a lot more political tension in Europe. Also, we have European Parliament elections coming up next year. Yeah. That could also be highly politicized this time. So there's a lot of political uncertainty in Europe that could impact the economy. Well, and the fact that you really don't know at this point what's going to happen with Theresa May, uh, they are still trying to iron out who now that they've lost a couple of uh, cabinet ministers, who's going to be the lead negotiator for the UK right now? And and I believe there's still a little bit of an element at play here where the UK believes it has more leverage than maybe it actually does. 
Yeah, and you know, in that sense, there is still a fair amount of dreaming going on, I think. Uh, but uh, at the same time, I think it is interesting that we actually have seen only a limited number of quits from uh, uh, Prime Minister May's cabinet. And that suggests that uh, probably quite a few pro-Brexit people come to the conclusion that this is probably the best we can get and that we have to go with this. And I think that the prime minister is kind of counting on the fact that the same uh, sentiment yeah. uh, may prevail in parliament and that a lot of uh, pro-Brexit people may in the end not vote against the deal, but rather go with what they can get right now. That's what we have to hope for, because at yeah. least in that case, we'll, we'll know where we're going to get. In the other case, we're in uncharted territory, and that is, that's not going to be good. How do you view China and, and Asia as a whole? And I mean, China is, is a country that obviously is... is you know the biggest economy in the on the planet right now but there are always seemingly questions about its growth where it is headed and, and really how strong it actually is right so at the conference board we have been talking for a very long time time already about sort of the 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 long gradual slowdown or the soft fall that china's economy has been showing that that basically has been the case since 2011, 2012, you know, after the uh, global recession in 2008, China massively stimulated its economy uh, through a lot of money at investment, public and private. Uh, and it just turned out around 2011, 12, that the returns on those investments were, were getting very low. So productivity completely collapsed. And we, we have seen that as the beginning of this slowdown. The official numbers in China are showing us that that slowdown has been very gradual. We think it's actually been pretty uh, abrupt in 2012. And since then, Chinese economy is probably not growing more than about 4% rather than the official numbers of 6, 6.5%. The question really is now, is that is that going to be sustained, that kind of growth rate, or could the economy slow even further? Right. And that is now a concern for us. We, we you know, the transition of that economy from an investment export driven economy that grow could grow more than 10 percent to to a consumer services driven economy that could grow more than four percent that transition is going very slowly we see incomes growth to be uh, quite weak uh, we see the the rise of services not to go as fast as people uh, would have hoped for and these trade disputes again are, are adding to the concerns it's probably not the cause of further slowdown but it could add so we do actually expect that china may slow down by another 0.3 percentage point uh, into 2019 that's a slightly more than what we've been seeing in recent years bart van ark is with the conference board their chief economist and vice president your comments again welcome at 844 wharton 844-942-7866 or if you can't get your phone you can send us a comment on twitter at bizradio 132 or my twitter account which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21, with what's going on in the U.S. and and Europe and and China and Asia, how does all of that, do you think, impact what has been going on in some of the emerging markets, some of the emerging economies in the last couple of years where we've really started to see some growth? Yeah, it's, of course, a a big part of the world, the emerging markets. I mean, together, uh, they make up about 50% of of the global economy now, together with with some some, uh, poor developing economies. So it's a big deal. Many of these economies are relatively small and quite vulnerable to what is happening in the global economy. And what is important here is that these rising interest rates that we're seeing in the U.S. and which are likely to be to proceed into next year, we expect another free base rate increase by the Federal Reserve next year. They're really hurting these emerging economies because it, it leads to a strengthening of the U.S. dollar, 
a weakening of their domestic currencies. Therefore, they see more inflationary pressures. And then what these countries have to do, they really have to decide between, you know, raising interest rates in order to fight inflation or continue to keep those interest rates to stimulate their economy. And we do see that some economies in Southeast Asia, for example, and Latin America are beginning to see the pain of that. So it all depends on, you know, whether they are able to actually deal with these pressures of inflation. If they're not, then I think that will be another source of slowdown for the global economy in 2019. What do we see with Latin America coming up uh, in the next year? What do you think? Well, there's been a lot of political change in Latin America. We had elections in Mexico. Uh, Mexico had to sign up to, you know, uh, uh, the follow-up of NAFTA. Uh, a, a new government, which uh, is a sort of more radical left-wing type of government. Uh, it's not yet in place, but it's starting its business. Um, and we'll have to see how that is going to play out. Uh, you know, Mexico will need to get its fiscal house in order. It's not terrible, but it definitely needs work. And there's uncertainty about how uh, how the new administration is going to do that. And then the other big uncertainty in Brazil is the new election of a new president yeah. in uh, Brazil. Uh, and again, that's a, a right-wing uh, populist uh, a president. Again, uh, somebody who really has been driving this as an agenda against the establishment, focus on fighting corruption, which is something that's absolutely necessary in Brazil. So at the moment, actually, confidence in, in Brazil has been strengthening a little. But look, the proof is in the pudding, and that is, you know, whether you know the president can put an administration together that is coming up with sound policies uh, on which businesses can uh, do its business can respond by investing and on the basis of which consumers feel confident about their economy. So a lot of uncertainty. And then we have troubled economies like Argentina, like yeah. Venezuela. Uh, you know, Venezuela has a whole case separate that's, that just shows no shine of improvement. Argentina is trying to, uh, to get back on track with IMF help. Uh, but it is, it's a really mixed bag in, in Latin America. Uh, so, you know, we see moderate improvements uh, in 2019, but I think a lot of uncertainty, again, a lot of that related to the fact that the, these economies are quite vulnerable to what is happening in the rest of the world. Not that you would expect it, but if you were able to get those three countries, if you were able to get their economies really going, turned around, and obviously you'd have to have incredible change, especially in Venezuela, uh, to be able to get that going right now, th- that could really make a significant uh, change uh, in in Latin America, in South America? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, Brazil and Mexico and Argentina uh, together are, of course, the bulk of the economy. Chile is a large economy also. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, the the problem in Latin America is that they can do kind of growth rates that are in the range of 4 or 5%. They're not growing as rapidly as, as Asia. But at the moment, most countries are not near uh, that kind of uh, potential growth rate, as the economists call it, uh, and have a lot of catching up to do. So, yes, if they get a house in order, if they're able to really uh, um, uh, you know, provide incentives for investment, drive productivity growth, which has been a big problem in Latin America, uh, then they can sustain growth rates at significantly higher rates than we expect them to do in 2019. Bringing it back here to the United States, you mentioned, I believe, uh, a little bit ago about the Federal Reserve and interest rates. What are your expectations for the upcoming year, uh, especially with the fact that that the economy and the markets, well, the markets specifically, have been so up and down over the last, uh, last two months? Yeah, I, I think, obviously, uh, Inflation is, is the key issue, plus the health of the economy, particularly the development of employment, right? So 
if you look at the labour market, there's definitely a continued reason to be positive in terms of low unemployment rate, despite the labour shortage that I just mentioned. But the wage inflation, the wage increases, at least the wage inflation, will get the Federal Reserve to continue on a path of, of raising rates uh, because they don't want to at some point see that reflected into uh, a consumer price index that is running out of hand. So, uh, yeah, we, we're counting on other free rate increases after the one in December and other free in uh, in 2019. And the Fed will, will do that unless the economy will really turn into a recession in 2019, which I think even with the current market pressures is, is, is unlikely in, in our point of view. So, um, you know, I, I think I think that's that's the more likely scenario that I want to get these rates back into what I would call normal territory. We should also not forget, I mean, you know, the, the rates are still relatively low historically. Yeah. If you want to fight a recession, once a recession would happen in, say, 20 or 21, you know, you want these rates uh, to be in the, you know, in the 4% range or something or even 5% so that you can then cut them in order to fight a recession. And, and we're not there yet. Bart Van Ark from the Conference Board joining us. 844 Wharton is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. It sounds like that that you are, I guess, cautiously optimistic about what could what could be occurring in 2019 for the U.S.? Yes, uh, I think we find ourselves at the upper end of the range, and that is because we believe that a lot of the market corrections that we're currently looking at are really kind of uh, taking some out of the, some air out of what has been a very hot market for a long time. Uh, we think that underlying uh, the strong labor market, the potential for rising wages. Uh, plus the investment that has been taking place over the past two few years, which is feeding a little bit into productivity, too low, but still a little bit, that that is still a recipe to to extend this cycle into 2019. We think it will slow during the year, but we don't we don't think it's very likely that it will uh, lead to a recession. Now, mind you, that a recession can be triggered for multiple reasons. There are economic reasons, which is why we don't think that's going to happen. There can be political or policy-related reasons globally, for example, or in the United States itself, that would trigger a recession. And of course, if you're in a very mature phase of the business cycle, the, the risk of such a trigger is, of course, increasing. So we're not without risk going into 2019. 2019. But yes, I'm cautiously optimistic when we're just looking at where our current economic indicators stand. Is there one is there one area that you would like to see significant movement on in, in 2019 in the U.S. economy? Well, I, I mentioned the issue of productivity growth. I yeah. mean, productivity in the U.S. on average is around one percent. That's sort of output over 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 per hour. Work and that is historically very low. And and the reason why that worries us is that you know we, we're living in this age of digital technology. We've been living in this age now for what is it a decade or more with yeah. new digital technologies that seem to be the most promising thing in the world. But why is it then that we're not yet seeing that uh, that productivity growth? Now originally we thought that was because investment was very weak. And if you don't invest, then you don't get these technologies going. But the investment has been good over the last few years and still. We're not seeing it. Now, it turns out that it is difficult for businesses to employ these kind of technologies. It, it, you know, it's big changes in business models, skills of the people and the competencies of people are very important to drive this. So we see a lot of businesses struggling with feeding these technologies to the bottom line. So right. I think that is a concern that I really have. And then on top of that, 
there is the issue around the technology itself, uh, the technology sector. I mean, we see a lot of movements in the technology sector now, but we've had a lot of issues in the last uh, uh, year or a year or two, I would say, yeah. around privacy, around security uh, yeah. of these kind of technology. We need to get it in order because you know you can't you can't run a car if the machine yeah. isn't safe, and that's that's really something that needs to get improved over the period to come. Bart, thank you very much for your time today. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Same to you. Welcome. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.